Well, good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here. I work primarily with our middle school and high school students and their families. I'm glad to be with you this morning on this third Sunday of Advent. As we've talked about already, Advent is a season of waiting, a season of longing. It's also a season in which the church has been waiting and longing for Jesus, both locally here at Third, but also globally and historically. It's been going on for hundreds of years. And in this time, we wait for the arrival of Jesus. We long for him to come again and make all things new. And that is what Jesus will do when, he ha- when the second advent occurs. And as we reflect back on the first coming of Jesus, and as we look ahead to the second coming, we as a church here have been looking at the book of Isaiah, the images that Isaiah uses to describe the Messiah. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the mountain. And, this, and last week, we talked about the branch. And this week, we're looking at this image of the stream. And these are powerful and dramatic images that Isaiah uses to express who the Messiah is and what he does. And as we prepare to look in God's word and to hear from God through it today, would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have to be together, to worship you, to praise you, and to hear from you. Lord, we ask now that as we look into your word, that you would speak clearly to us, unstop our ears, soften our hearts, enable us to hear what you want us to hear, and enable our hearts to respond the way that you desire us to respond. And Lord God, I do ask that you would please keep me out of your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word from Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. So here we are in Advent, as we've spoken about already, a season that's been celebrated for hundreds of years by Christians. We also today, though, are in a much shorter-lived cultural season. It began last year right around this time and will likely continue until about 2020. And that is the season of anticipation of the new Star Wars films. Uh, Somebody after the first service came to me and said, you speak about Star Wars from the pulpit too much. Um, But that is because I am a big fan. Many of you know that. 
And I am excited about the new movie coming out this Friday, Rogue One. Um, I will not be able to attend the opening weekend at all. Friday night, I'll be with our high school students on our 13th annual lock-in, I believe. Um, And if anyone is interested in joining me and staying up all night with our high school students, please see me after the service. No one has taken me up on that offer yet, um, but we'll see. I have hope that you'll be different. Um, But anyway, so I won't be going to see the movie this, this first weekend. But what I don't want you to do is think I'm, I'm not a fan. I have seen the trailers online many times over. And there was a line in the second trailer that really stood out to me. And it was a, a line given in the context where the main heroine, J- uh, Jin Erso, is trying to rally the rebels around her to go on this, this almost impossible mission of stealing the Death Star plans and saving the rebellion and therefore the universe. And so what, what she's doing, to this, saying to this ragtag group, this beaten down looking group of people, she says this, we have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Now in the Star Wars universe, it was that hope that caused the rebels to fight the evil empire. This empire that had mass power, that seemed destined to rule over everything. The rebels hoped things would be better that things would be restored to the way they were before the empire came to power, that there would be a brighter time, a happier time. And it was this hope that kept them fighting the fight, that kept them going. And as I reflected on that line, I realized that that's true, not just in the Star Wars universe. It's true outside of fictional worlds. It's true for us. Hope drives all of us to continue to press on, despite whatever struggle, despite whatever difficulty, despite whatever odds we may be facing. And for Christians, we're driven by hope. Hope that comes from knowing that Jesus Christ has come and believing that he will come again. And when he comes again, that he will make all things new, that he'll make things the way that they're supposed to be. And we know that we find hope in Jesus alone. Now, during this time of Advent, focusing on Jesus as our one true hope is a little bit easier. Our church calendar is set around this as we start the church year with Advent. Our sermons and and services are all focused on the birth of Jesus and, and his second coming. And so it's easy now to focus on these things, to see how Jesus is our hope. But it gets difficult It gets difficult even in the midst of Advent as we have the commercialization of Christmas causing us to hope maybe more for sales or good gifts from relatives than it might in trusting in Jesus as our hope. It may be even more so that in the day in and day out routines of our lives, our hopes shift to other things. And they're not necessarily bad things. In fact, they may be very good things that our hope is put in. Things like having friends, getting good grades, getting into that college. I know that our seniors in high school right now, that is a big pressure for them. And sometimes their hope is tied up in what college they get into. For others of us, we may be putting our hope in our job or getting that promotion or having our retirement fund reach that one level where we know we'll be comfortable for the rest of our lives. It could be having a boyfriend or a girlfriend, getting married, having a child, so many other things we put our hope in. And all of them are good. They're not bad things. They're not evil things. But when it comes to us putting our hope fully in those things, they are grossly insufficient. They're not going to fulfill us. We can want them. We can wish for them. But to base our lives around them, to hope in them, is just not going to do 
what we hope it will. No matter how good the things we hope for are, if we put our hope in things other than Jesus as Messiah, we will find out that those things are greatly lacking. And so Isaiah, in this passage, and really throughout his entire book, talks about hope often. Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel because he talks about the Messiah who will come and the mission of the Messiah and the promise that the Messiah brings to all people. And so we shouldn't be surprised that even in our passage this morning, we will see Isaiah speak of the Messiah in that way. Now, Isaiah first was speaking to the people of Judah. They were a very small nation at the time. They were surrounded by two great superpowers, Assyria and Egypt, and they were feeling the pressure. As we've said in past messages, they were living in difficult times. But the people of Judah looked to a political alignment with Egypt to help save them. Not because they were bad or evil, but frankly because, like us, they looked to have their hope in something else to save them, something that God did not intend to save them. They looked, as I said, to political power and military strength. And so because they did that, it angered Assyria and it angered God. And because of those things, God's wrath was felt, his vengeance was felt through the works of Assyria. And God was angry because his people had turned their back on him turned away from him, looked to something other than him to provide for them, looked for something other than him for their hope. And so they had to deal with the consequences that came from that. Now, none of us here, I don't think, are dealing with superpowers that are coming into our lives and making our life difficult. But every single one of us here is in a place of struggle. And if we're not in a place of struggle, we've either just come out of one or we're getting ready to go into one, unbeknownst to us perhaps. We have friends and family members who are in the same position. And in all of those circumstances, we often find ourselves thinking like Judah did, if I only had this, then my life would be the way I want it to be. And that thing that we say, the this, that's what we put our hope in. The problem is, is often when we get that thing, that this, we find out that it's not what we hoped it was. And we need to find a new this to move on to. The original thing we were hoping for is not as fulfilling. And so we find something else to put our hope in. It's like the mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal said, and I'll paraphrase it, but that we have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. There is a void in our lives that needs to be filled. And we look to fill it with something, anything, good things often. But because it is shaped in the fashion of God, Only he can fill that void, can fill that vacuum. And only he, as our hope, is the one that can satisfy. We've been created to have our hope found in God and in him alone. So how is it that we can do that? How is it that we can find our hope in God? Well, before we answer that question, we need to think about what is it that we're putting our hope in right now? That's a question that Christians need to be thinking about. That's a question that those of us here who may not be Christians or who are just checking things out need to be thinking about. What are we putting our hope in? Are we putting our hope in someone or something that will eventually let us down? Or are we putting our hope in someone who will not let us down and who will do what he has promised? Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills that hope. But the question is, are we putting our hope in him? 
And how can we do that? How is it that we can put our hope in Jesus and him alone? Well, in middle school, I, um, I attended a summer camp in the mountains of eastern Pennsylvania, in the Pocono Mountains. Um, people from the west would refer to them more as hills than mountains, but still, for someone who grew up in northern New Jersey, they were mountains. And every summer, as part of our week of being at camp, we would hike up to the top of one of these mountains with our sleeping bag and sleeping pad and any supplies we would need to get through the night. And um, Except for one year, I, we didn't do it. We had somebody who slept walked in our, in our tent, and it was a bad idea to put him near a cliff. So, but all the other years, we um, hiked up to this mountain, and it was something that was, for a skinny, scrawny, squirrely middle school boy like I was, a challenging thing. It was, yes, an eastern Pennsylvania mountain, but it was still hard to get up the trail. There were some steep spots. There were some loose rock spots, and it was just a hard thing to do. There were times where I certainly wanted to give up, but there were other times where our counselors or those who had gone up to the top of the mountain before us encouraged us and said, no, the struggle is worth it. There is a great view at the top, so keep pressing on, keep moving on. What those counselors and what those other campers were doing were giving us a hope that in the midst of the struggles we were dealing with, at the end there is something even greater. And when we got to the top of the mountain, and overlooked the valley that was below us. Even middle school boys were struck by the beauty that we saw up there. And it definitely was worth it. So the first year was hard to get up that hill, to climb up the mountain. The second year was easier, not just because I was a little bit stronger, but because I knew what waited on the other side. I knew what was at the end of the struggle. And so my hope was a realized hope, and I knew that I could press on because of that. We all can use a hope like that. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives, how old we are, whatever, wherever we may be finding ourselves. We need a hope that there is something greater than the struggles that we're dealing with. There are people in our midst right now who are dealing with incredible physical pain, emotional pain, struggles within their families. There are people here who have lost their jobs just recently. They've lost loved ones. Those of us here who this time of year, instead of bringing about joy, bring about, it brings about a sense of loneliness. So no matter what our age or stage, we need a hope in something greater, a hope that will keep us pressing on. And the hope that we see in our passage this morning is hope in the Messiah, our hope in Jesus Christ. And it does four things, this hope. It transforms, it encourages, it restores, and it reverses. In verses one and two, we see Isaiah talking about the stream causing the desert and parched land to be glad, causing the wilderness to rejoice and to blossom. Those were places that were associated with barrenness, with desolation, places that people did not want to intentionally go to, and they would be transformed into places of beauty and life. Desolate places would become fertile like Lebanon, orderly like Carmel, beautiful like Sharon. And all those places, as they're named off, the people hearing Isaiah say them for the first time would associate them with fullness and life and abundance and joy. This is what the stream, the Messiah, does. And for the Israelites hearing those words, they would reflect back on their history. They would think of their ancestors who wandered in the desert for 40 years on the way to the promised land. And they would think about how God provided water for them from unlikely places how he provided food from unlikely places, and yet how the desert remained the desert. 
The Israelites wandering the desert were provided for, but the desert was not transformed. But through the Messiah and hoping in him, the desert is transformed to a place of life and abundance. And we can see that transformation in people when they choose to follow Jesus, when they commit to following him for the first time. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. One of the great things about student ministry is going on the trips that we have each year, the, the winter retreat, the high school mission trip, the middle school great escape summer camp. They're great for, for me to be part of because I get to see God do his transformative work firsthand. I have literally seen students on a weekend retreat be transformed, both in their spiritual character but also in their physical demeanor because they have moved their hope. Their hope has been moved from in whatever it was in to a hope in Jesus Christ. And that's not because we had a great speaker or because we know how to put a good weekend together, but because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was at work in their lives and enabled them to transfer their hope. God transforms people. And I've been able to be part of that on a firsthand basis, and I am honored and grateful for it. So hope in the Messiah transforms. But it also encourages us. In verses 3 and 4, we we see a group of people Isaiah describes as being tired, worn down. They're fearful and afraid. And in Hebrew, verse 4, as a word of encouragement, can be looked at as this. The English is is just a little different. In Hebrew, you can translate verse 4 as, Be strong, do not fear, behold your God. He will come with vengeance. Isaiah says, Behold your God, which means come into his presence, look at him, be in relationship with him, behold him. He's saying this to a group of people whose rebellion and sin would put them in a place that would keep them away from God. And yet, because of the Messiah, They can behold God and be in relationship with him when they had no right to be in that kind of relationship. They're told to behold him because God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. God is the God that our hope is truly based in. And they're told that he will come and make things right. That's what God's vengeance is. It's not some brutality kind of thing that he goes about doing just because he's a vengeful God. But instead, it's his justice being brought to places where there is immense injustice. And that means that God's enemies will be dealt with and his people will receive him. This is a hope that encourages. It's a hope that strengthens. And this hope that strengthens us, strengthens us as we are. We don't need some new gift or some new blessing from God. He has given us all that we need to press on, to have stable knees and strong hands. Just as we are, God will work within us to strengthen us because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That is a hope that encourages. And we have a hope that restores. Verses 5 and 6 talk about the blind receiving sight, the lame getting their ability to leap, those who are unable to speak can speak again. This talks about the, the fullness of the restoration that God will have in his people through the Messiah, both physically and spiritually. We will be restored to the way God originally intended things to be. And this is also what Jesus says in Matthew 11 when John the Baptist, who is locked up in prison, sends his disciples to come see him. 
And they say to Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus says to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is saying that he is that Messiah. He has fulfilled what Isaiah is talking about here. He has done that, and he's doing that now, even in his church today. We see restoration anytime justice is done in God's name. When the least of these are cared for in the name and love of Jesus, God's restorative work, the hope that comes from it and the hope that comes through it is being done. God is working to restore this world. And he's doing that through the hope that his people have in the Messiah. And this hope also reverses things. If you've ever walked on a hot sand beach with just your bare feet, you can relate to this. Seeing these words as Isaiah talks about the fact that burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground will become bubbling springs. Places that used to burn and scald and be difficult to walk on become places that have life and water in them. Places that used to just consume and suck water in, giving nothing back, will be places that abundant life comes from. And this is what hope in the Messiah does. It brings life where once there was just consumption. And for people, the people of Judah, living among the deserts, they would hear that water would be in these desolate places, and they would think about life full and abundant life. Places that jackals used to live were places no one wanted to go. There was the scent of death in those places. And here we say, we see because of hope in the Messiah, there would be places of great life with plants growing where once there was nothing. And again, the Apostle Paul captures this through the work of Jesus we see in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We were once dead in our sins, but we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Our dead condition has been reversed. And so our hope in the Messiah does these things, and as we see these things happening, our hope is strengthened in him. So we hope in Jesus because he is the one who has done these things. He's doing them now, and he will do them when he comes again. And when he comes again, they will be done in their fullness, in their completion. And then this is wonderful and great for us to think about in church. But what does it mean as we head out these doors this afternoon, as we head to school tomorrow or to work or to our daily routines? What, what does this have to do with our life as we know it? Well, in verse 8, we see this talk of a highway. And I have to admit that when I first saw the word highway, my first thought was that stretch of 95 between Fredericksburg and D.C. <laughs> if Isaiah was speaking of hell, that might be a little bit more appropriate. <laughs> but he's not. This is not what he means. When, when Isaiah's talking about a highway here, he's talking about this causeway that is lifted up, that is visible for all to see. And it's something that once people are on it, it is easy to travel because it is visible, it is flat, it is smooth. But the challenge is, it is high. And so how do people get from where they are to the height of the highway, to the way of holiness? There's a couple of things about that. One in its name, the way of holiness, means that there is a standard 
for God's people. And that's seen in the height of the road, the difficulty that someone on their own would have getting onto that highway. And it's saying that God does not lower his standards or expectations for his people because we can't meet them on our own. But what it also says is that God raises up his people onto that highway so that they can meet his standard. We can't do it. God lifts us up so that the standard is met. And he does that first and foremost by lifting Jesus up on the cross. When Jesus was raised on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserved. He took on our pain, our suffering, our sin. He was lifted up onto the cross so that we would be lifted onto the way of holiness. And because he's done this, we can and will walk on that way when we en- and enter Zion with singing. And this gives us immense hope. This is the something greater. This is the something that we can trust in and hope in right now. Even as we struggle at school, at home, at work, in our daily routines, we have hope that God has done the most important thing for us and that has placed us on the way of holiness through Jesus Christ. And the highway is for those who hope in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The unclean won't be on that road. And the unclean are people who have not put their hope in Jesus because they don't make use of the means of grace that he provides. And neither will wicked fools be on that road. And in scripture, the fool is someone who doesn't hope in God, but hopes in other things, hopes in idols, thinking that they will meet his needs. The wicked and unclean won't be on the way. But for those on it, the redeemed of God, it will be an easy path. There will be no wild animals, no ravenous beasts, no lions that would cause a traveler harm on an ordinary road. And what that means for us is that from the point of hoping and trusting and believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, our salvation is secure. Nothing will get in the way of us traveling on the way into Zion once we are on that road. And this is very good news. And this is the hope that we have in the Messiah, and it's hope that comes from the Messiah, from Jesus. Now, again, it doesn't take a genius for us to realize we are not on that road right now. Things are not easy. We watch the news. We know what's going on in our lives. We experience the struggle and difficulties all around us. And this passage is predominantly about the future. In the neighborhood of 30 different times, the future tense is used to describe what the hope in the Messiah will be. And so the reality is that we are living in a time where things are not yet the way they are supposed to be, but we already have Jesus. And so we're in this in-between phase, but as we're in this in-between phase, we do have Jesus Christ. He is the stream, the one who brings life, the one who gives us hope. He is the Messiah, the one who redeems God's people, who enables us to walk on this highway. In verses 9 in the beginning of 10, it talks about those the Lord has rescued, those the Lord has redeemed. And in English, it doesn't come through as clearly. Um, And I had a lot, a lot of help to get it, even some kind of clarity as I was looking at it in Hebrew. So it doesn't come super clear in Hebrew either, at least the way I study it. But it does come through, smarter people than me say it's very clear that when it talks about those the Lord has redeemed, it's referring to and focusing on the one who does the redeeming. And the the person they're describing is someone who picks up burdens for a deceased loved one. 
Someone who picks up the responsibilities for their family member who can't do it anymore because they have been, they are dead, they've been killed or anything. And this is what Jesus has done. This is something that the Hebrew language talks about as a kinsman redeemer. Someone who takes a burden, a responsibility willingly, not because they have to, but because they want to, because they love their family members. And because Jesus has done that for us, we can walk on the way. And when that happens, joy and gladness will overtake us. Not coming up from behind us to catch us, but instead coming at us from in front of us, rushing towards us, as if the things that we've been reaching for, longing for, striving for all these years in the midst of our brokenness will finally be upon us. And they'll surpass us because things in Zion, in the city, with Jesus, when he's made all things, it will be even greater than what we are seeking out now. And when joy and gladness overcome us, sorrow and sighing will flee away. In Revelation 21, we read, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is making everything new. And Isaiah calls us to hope in him as the Messiah, trusting that he will do what he has promised because he has done already what he has promised in these scriptures. Jesus has fulfilled these words and he will make all things new when he comes again. And so I ask us again, are we trusting in him or in someone or something else to give us hope, to give us fulfillment? As we're in Advent right now, reflecting on Jesus' first coming and longing for his second, when he'll make all things the way they're supposed to be, we need to live as people of hope. People who hope in the Messiah who has reversed the curse of sin, who encourages us, transforms us, and restores us, and is making us new. Jesus has come. He is with us now, and he will come again to make all things the way they're supposed to be. May we praise God for this incredible gift. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can place our hope in you. Lord, we confess that we place our hope in so many other things. May that not be the case any longer, Lord God. May we put our hope in Jesus and in him alone. Show us, Lord, what we're hoping in instead of you and enable us to place our hope and trust and faith fully in him, knowing that you, Lord God, are making all things new. Bless us through this day and through this time. In all that we do, may we bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.